Hey fam, let's catch the moment. We open this space with the acknowledgement that the land in which we are located is occupied and unceded territories. On this, their traditional land and ancestral home, join us in acknowledging the tribal groups from where we personally vibe, including the Kickapoo, Kansas, Osage, Odos, Missouri, Padawami, Sioux, Shawnee, Wyandotte, Choctaw, and Chitty Macha tribes. We look to you as we become better stewards of the land we inhabit. Peace and love. Let go. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. What's up and welcome to the We Out Here podcast, a place to hear stories of black, brown and indigenous folks in science and nature. My name is Alexi G coming to you from the black lands of the Kumeyaay down here in San Diego, California. And with me, as always, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm delighted to be here. My name is Allison <laughs> Jones. I almost gave my middle name. Yeah, well, don't That do would it. have been reckless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my name is Allison Jones. I am coming to you live from the Narragansett lands, known on the settler map as Providence, Rhode Island, PIVDA, PVD, Brat. I don't know. What else? The Ocean State. Careful, (laughs) careful. We have an incredibly special guest on the program today. So go ahead and introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and what you do. Hey, you too. This is Sharon Dorsey. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I would describe myself as an environmentalist, an ornithologist, an educator, and a lifetime learner, for sure. Ooh, a lifetime learner. I like that. I love that. A lot of people think that, you know, they reach a certain age and then they know it all. Love the idea of always learning about the world as you go on. Deep therapy. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm coming in hot today. (laughs) Wow. Allison (laughs) is catching that spring energy. She's, it's bucking season. (laughs) That's what spring brings. <laughs> Yo, that is what spring brings. So for you, Sharon, what does spring bring? Spring has brought my birthday in Ooh. April. My birthday just passed. So cheers to me. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. April has brought a lack of allergies. I'm one of my few friends that don't have allergies in the springtime. So I'm very grateful for that. So I'm able to frolic and smell the flowers <laughs> and the tree pollen, you know, tear free. Drag us! Yo, I'm kind of mad though because I was one of those people who was, you know, flying fancy free because I didn't have allergies and then I moved to the desert and bro, I didn't realize I might, I think I might be allergic to like aloe flowers. Oh no, they're so pretty too. They're so pretty. If y'all have not seen an aloe flower or the agave flowers, look them up right now. They are, it's like being on a straight up alien planet. It's like Pandora, but real. So it sounds like you know quite a bit about plants. So you studied plants at one point, I assume? Yeah. So my undergraduate research was actually on wetland plants in particular. So that's the one section of herbaceous plants I am familiar with and how wetland plants are so awesome and have these superpowers where they're able to kind of filter out a lot of the natural pollutants that can be spending off of streets. Oh, cool. So after a storm, you know, heavy water will be hitting the pavement and oftentimes it kind of run down these storm drains on the side of the road. And in most communities that are pretty well structured and are, you know, eco-friendly, I guess, yeah, they, yeah. Will, they will situate wetlands near those storm drains or even those outflows so that yeah. these wetland plants can absorb the extra nitrogen 
phosphorus, any kind of like kind of pollutant or like things that's probably bad for the water can be absorbed into the soil and plants first. So my undergraduate thesis was essentially on like how not only do these plants absorb these elements and these chemicals, but they also like use that to grow more. That's a pretty cool thesis right there. Yeah. So are you still studying plants or are you uh, focused on any other taxonomic groups? I have actually made a huge switch to mammals. Well, I guess more so like wildlife. So in terms of like okay. from, from plants and like non-moving you know, species to like actually moving like wildlife, in particular birds. And so I am technically a shorebird ecologist and I've moved from, you know, the kind of temperate forest of, of Maryland to the coastal beaches of Long Island, New York. And my graduate thesis is on um, the nesting behavior and nesting ecology of the endangered piping plover. And they are really awesome as well. They're a migratory shorebird. So they will spend their summers up in, you know, northern parts of the Atlantic coast from Canada to like Virginia, North Carolina. And they have their, you know, look for their breeding grounds, find their mates, settle down, have a little nest, raise some chicks, and then the chicks grow up and then all of them fly south for the winter <laughs> and yeah. seek warmer weather down in Florida, the Bahamas, Texas. But yeah, it's been really awesome working with this population and getting some hands-on work with, with birds because birds are very, very cool and um, very hard to capture as well. <laughs> Allison, that reminds me of the bats in Austin. That reminded me of some a beef I got. I went to visit one time and I this is when I was working with bats. I was like, yes, this is going to be great. You know, I, I've been working with bats in captivity for a long time, for like two years. Now I'm going to see some wild bats, like a lot of wild bats, not just a random one. So I go to this bridge, I'm hanging out underneath and like the bats start waking up and they start flying. And bro, I started getting so anxious and I was like, what's going on? And then I realized I felt like I was at work. I felt like I was at, in the bat colony at work. And I was like, man, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. <laughs> so I went and took a walk and then looked at it from the outside from a distance and got to see them like leaving. And it was really beautiful for, uh, wait, from wait, wait. away. Go for it. I think we need to finish off the trilogy. We've oh. talked about birds. We've talked about bats. Yeah. I think we need to talk about bees because they also are having meetings. Yes, they are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that also reminds me, because you told me a little something, that you're allergic to bees as well, Sharon. I am allergic to bees. And that was uncovered inadvertently during one of my first jobs post-graduation. And it was not a pleasant experience. I will tell you that. <laughs> oh, well, it's story time. <laughs> I will start by saying finding a job, you know, post college graduation was pretty tough, but I was very fortunate to have a friend, family friend that worked at an environmental consulting firm. And if people aren't familiar with what that is, because I was not when I first applied for this job, it is essentially a place of business that other companies and businesses can go to to get more expertise on something that they don't know. What is consulting? Consulting is asking experts things you don't know and getting help on those things. So environmental consultants essentially help different local or state organizations on environmental issues that they don't have the capacity to do themselves. And what this kind of looked like in my day to day was if a company, even like the transportation authority, if they want to widen a highway or if they want to improve a roadway, 
they have to abide by various environmental regulations and get kind of a pre and post assessment of the habitat, the natural spaces nearby their project. And they hire people like me and my team from my consulting firm to do these environmental assessments. And this can look like looking at streams and looking at the fish biodiversity, as well as the macroinvertebrate biodiversity. With the fish in particular, it was really fun exploring this process called electrofishing, where we put these backpacks on and we have these kind of like electronic sensors, almost like rods in our hands. And we kind of walk through a stream and are kind of like stunning the fish so we can kind of collect them up in a bucket and identify them. <laughs> and no fish were harmed, you know, long term in the process of this assessment, um, but it allows us again to identify each different species and say, okay, there's a whole lot of species here and biodiversity is always a good thing. Or there's, okay, there's only one or two species here and those species are pollutant tolerant which indicates to us that this stream may not be that healthy. And that stream could be healthy, you know, pre-highway construction. And so it's okay, well, this stream's already unhealthy. You know, this construction will make it any worse. Or the stream could be very, very healthy, have high biodiversity before the construction. Construction happens, we assess again post-construction, and now we're seeing this lack mm. of biodiversity. Okay, red flags. Yeah, yeah. Something's off here. So what are some of the species that would be like indicator species in that way? Hmm, good question. I am not a lo no longer a fish ecologist, but I do okay, remember right. some common <laughs> ones in the at least the mainland area. Okay. Where these dace species, like they're very, very small, probably like as long as like your thumb and your mm, knuckle. Knuckle? <laughs> thumb, <laughs> yeah. thumb and knuckle. That's pretty short. We also had an invasive snakehead fish. They're pretty abundant in Maryland waters and they're invasive. So these are fish that are actually okay to eliminate, I will say, and almost encouraged to be eliminated. So if we saw those fish in any, you know, pre or post survey, those gotta go. They eat other native fishes. Oh, they're weird. Sound like they made for the streets. So the snakefish? Yeah, the snakehead fish is wild looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I won't stay on the fish too, too long. Because again, it was a fun part of my job, but I just did not stay in that, in that, you know, uh, vein. The other parts I really enjoyed were like wetland delineations. And so, mm -hmm. again, wetlands are also protected waters, kind of, because they're like, they have a water table. And if pollutants get into them, they could affect, you know, some reservoirs. So... We do some wetland delineations and this involved a lot of like getting into the soil and like using this type of contraption to dig and make soil cores. We pull out the soil, get our hands all brown and dirty and sometimes like clayey or sandy or silty. And we'd again identify these different components of the soil and use this color chart to classify these colors of the soil. And the more darker blackish brown soil would mean it's more hydric. So it's again, more water retaining you're likely in a wetland. So we would kind of like go around different parts of Maryland and find out where all the wetlands are. So that was a lot of fun. And the third part, which I'll expand on a lot more, are these forest delineations. Similar to what I just described at the beginning of this podcast, how we would go through and identify all these tree species, these sassafrases, these tulip poplars, these red maples, these American beaches. And again, the more biodiversity in an area, the better it is. And if it's not, if it's pretty like one species there, we kind of give it a poorer score for its like, you know, biodiversity. It's lots of different mm. assessments. You have to know a variety <laughs> of things. Oh my gosh, I learned so much about these different taxa, right? These fish, these plants, 
even soil types. My brain was almost at capacity of what I could learn, but I enjoyed it. I have enjoyed it. The last part I'd say, the fourth component of what we did were these geomorphic surveys. So with streams, they not only serve as like a, a reservoir for fish and macroinvertebrates and different species, they also like carry water, like they carry water during a storm to its destination. And based on the stream's shape and like its substrate, its soil or rockiness, its stream bed, it all kind of like, I guess physically and hydrologically can, can do so much, has so much capacity to carry water. And so with these geomorphic assessments, it's almost, I would equate it to like, just mapping out like a road grade. Sometimes those big trucks, you know, have to read these, these signs and say like, oh, steep grade, you know, 9% or something. Streams kind of get a similar type of assessment based on like how steep it is. Okay. And so we go out there and we kind of truly like map out and give these assessments, these, these grade percentages and lots of other things, not just as simple as how steep is it. So I'm going out with my, I guess, crew member. She is a senior, you know, senior member than me and I'm still learning a lot from her. She and I were driving out probably about a site, half an hour from Baltimore City and it's pretty, you know, rural Maryland, driving through some farmland and some forests and, you know, chit-chat in the car. What kind of trees are we talking? Are we like, is this like pine land or is it like more deciduous? It's still very deciduous. Yeah. Okay. Trees that like shed their leaves, of course. And it's honestly my favorite. I think it's probably springtime. So very green, you know, very, very green. We end up parking the car. That's really it's a truck. It's not even a car. It's a big truck. We park on the side of the road where our designated site is. And we have so much equipment to get out of our truck because there's lots of things we need to do these types of like stream geomorphic surveys. Of course, the lightest one is like this aluminum clipboard. Clipboards are, are advanced these days, not just a basic brown cardboard thing. It's like, it has a compartment. Yeah. <laughs> they changed. Those like aluminum ones that are like mm -hmm. straight up, like they have like the metal hinge on them yep, and stuff yep, too. Yep. Every time I see those, I'm like, I want one. And you got stuff yeah. that you can put stuff inside of it. See? You can put stuff inside, yep, which is great because we have other data sheets and pencils and rulers and wipes and just various things. It's, it's multi, multi-purpose, you know, it's hard surface to write on and a compartment to carry things. We got that. We have this type of, the main survey equipment we use is similar to what you may see on the side of the road by road surveyors. It's like this big tripod, this big oh, tripod yeah. with this kind of like, I don't know, um, six inch box, maybe you kind of set it on top as a sensor. And it essentially has this like camera or this like maybe camera or some kind of red light that just sends signals in every direction until it finds its receiving end. And its complement piece is this receiving end rod. And that essentially allows us to really measure the height, like relative height of where I'm standing. You know, am I lower down than where that tripod is? Am I higher up than where the tripod is? It gives a sense of that grade piece we were talking about earlier. Does it do depth as well? It can do depth, yeah. If, if I actually put it in like the stream, I could get water depth from that same rod. It wouldn't use that same type of like infrared sensor. I really just, it'd be like a ruler. I would just be like sticking this, you know, rod in the ground. It has lines <laughs> on it. Okay, I can see the water is hitting this, you know, two inch line. 
it's very rudimentary. That that part's not so advanced, but it still works. <laughs> Again, multi-purpose. <laughs> I like that it's digital and analog, though. That's uh -huh. dope. Yep, yep. So if the battery's broken, at least you can still get the water depth, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's still a poker. It's Yep, yep. So those are two other pieces of equipment. You also have this, like, handheld GPS, like, Garmin, and it kind of allows us to record our, like, coordinates, like, our exact coordinates of where we're standing, taking these different measurements, which can be helpful as we extract this stuff into, like, geospatial software back in the office. And, of, of course, we are going to be out in the field for a long time, so we also have a backpack with lots of food and water because yep. we got to stay healthy and conscious. So how long are you guys out there at a time? This is typically a full work day. So I'd say like okay. we clock in, you know, to the office to get that truck at like 7 a.m. And then we got to drive, you know, maybe half an hour to pack our stuff up, drive half an hour. So it gets to the site around 8. We expect to be out there at least for four to five hours. Okay. So it's a decent day. Again, it's springtime. It's, it's moderate, you know, moderately hot. So water is very important. And so it was important that we have all these things with us and we don't really plan on going back to the truck. So we got to bring all this stuff with us and all bodies are good for field work, but I will just describe that I'm a pretty petite person and <laughs> I am pretty strong though too. So I, I, it is, it is kind of cumbersome <laughs> to carry all these things, but we do it. Both my partner and I are petite women, but that's also more badass that we're out here doing all this yeah. tough like equipment stuff. Plus, if there's like a small space you got to get into, like it helps to be small. Yes, like, you definitely, know? definitely. So we're again, we're carrying our equipment out. We're now we're observing the trees. And I think, again, in every place, every time I'm stepping onto nature, I start to still notice those same curiosities about who was around, what birds am I hearing, you know, what trees am I walking by? I'm always noticing these things. And, and again, the forests we're kind of like walking through are similar, tulip poplars, some oak species. And also to kind of set the scene, I think I remember it being pretty shaded. So like the canopy is like, you know, thick enough to allow some, some light to come through, but also like pretty shady. Like we're not like out being burned by the sun the whole time, which is my perfect environment. Right. And I remember hearing <laughs> like, you know, various birds, a lot of sparrows, mockingbirds, typical backyard birds in Maryland, Northern Cardinal, Blue Jays. It's a very peaceful day. And, you know, I love working with this with colleague. So it starts off great. We're kind of like hiking maybe a quarter of a mile down to this the stream that we're actually going to be, you know, serving. And just chit-chatting along the way. And it's a typical day, essentially. But what shifts, <laughs> what shifts in this <laughs> casual walk to this stream is this, like, sudden new sound that has been introduced into my earwaves sound waves whatever waves <laughs> <laughs> into the space and this comes back to a little bit of my not really a phobia but it's the sound of an insect and i have very curly natural hair and a phobia i've had for a long time are just flying insects flying into my hair and getting stuck and lost yep. And then uh -huh. they're going to get mad and I get mad and they can't, I run away, but then they're still in my hair. So it's just a lose-lose. So I love nature. I love nature. I love nature. But insects, <laughs> flying insects in particular, are, are low on my love of nature. Um, <laughs> so that's one of the downsides of working in this field, right? But I've accepted it and I still think insects have a role in the environment. They should be protected. So I, I'm pro-insects, just 
not, I'm against insects in my hair. Let's get that clear. <laughs> so what's <laughs> happening is that I'm walking through with my, with my, you know, colleague and this new sound is introduced into my, my ear waves. And, and it sounds like a buzzing noise that it sounds like a flying insect. And I'm like, oh goodness, I don't like this. And it's amplified by multiple, like a pretty loud noise. It's like not just one or yeah, two. It's yeah. just like, okay, this sounds like a lot of insects. It was just like this like sudden like sound. And then I started seeing these small black, also objects flying in front of me. And this kind of took me back to a previous experience I had in the outdoors when I realized I'm allergic to bees. And it was the same, <laughs> yep. same job, you know, working at the same consulting firm, different site, different person who was, I would say, a little bit less kind <laughs> and less yeah. empathetic to my, to my fears. But we're just really walking in this, in this previous segue story, bonus story. I am walking through another forest in Maryland, and I remember noticing this really thick brown vine hanging off this tree. And this is my first year. I'm so new. And I'm like, oh, this, this vine's kind of hairy. It's kind of interesting, you know? Let me get a closer look at it, because it's kind of in my way as I'm trying to traverse this, you know, traverse this, I don't know, field. Hold up. Did you say it was hairy? <laughs> It was Did a hairy. Did you describe a vine as hairy? Yes. Are you familiar with this hairy vine? Because that's that's pretty popular in Maryland and the East Coast. I think it's West Coast as well. I've never. Okay, go ahead. Oh no, that vine. Okay, so as I'm staring at this hairy vine, which I later on learned is poison ivy. Everyone, poison oh. ivy is a very hairy, like almost wood-like vine. I did not know it that. It can grow like that, at least in Maryland. Ooh. But I was so fascinated <laughs> that's by this. ominous. That's gross. That's yes. Like, that's like Eldridge. Yes. Lesson of the day. Beware the hairy vines. Oh, <laughs> <Yo>, what? <laughs> Beware the hairy vines. <laughs> that's like Jumanji. What? <laughs> Literally. Whatever you do. Beware of the hairy vine. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that vine captured my attention so much. I didn't even notice this small, little, cute yellow jacket that was maybe, like, you know, crawling on that vine. <laughs> and it literally just flies right up to me as I'm looking at this vine and just lands on my finger, stings me, and flies away. It was so anticlimactic. And I was just like, oh, my god, That's gosh. wild disrespectful. Yes. I'm just like, I'm just minding my business, just walking, observing nature, and it just comes up and stings me. It said, hold that. Yeah. It just, I'm like, well, you know that you sting me. And I think with yellow jackets, they also die. I don't know. From I can't remember. I'm not a bee expert. To be confirmed. But some species <laughs> of bees do that. So I'm like, well, you kind of just lost because you might be dying after <laughs> you this. You stupid. Yeah. You dumb. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You dumb. Uh, so <laughs> that small little prick it gave me swelled my finger, swelled my wrist, swelled my elbow, Whoa. like within like an hour. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen my bee before, before in my life. I did not expect the type of reaction. And my colleague is like, you'll be okay. And I'm like, oh. She saw that you had a swell bow. This is. And said, you'll be all right. I got a question. This is a different individual, not the one that my main story is about. And they're just a little bit, they get tougher love, <laughs> I guess. Tough. I was about to say, wait a minute. That's when I realized I am allergic to bees. So flashback to my main story. As I'm re-experiencing this new experience, this new exposure to bees, I'm like, okay, the sound is buzzing. I see black things. 
I'm not sure at that time if they're bees, but I'm like, I'm not taking any chances before I get stung again. <laughs> I'm in short sleeve t-shirt, I'm in long pants, but I got a lot of skin exposed and I'm like, I'm not getting stung again. Yep. So without even thinking, I just, I'm carrying at least that rod and a tripod and my clipboard. I think my colleague had the GPS and some other equipment, but whatever I'm carrying, it is suddenly on the ground and I'm just booking it. I am running through the forest. You know, I was a track athlete in the past, so my track star speed was in full effect and high knees, arms swinging, you know, head straight. Just imagine, like, like the flash. The flash running. Said, go, Felix, go! Go, Felix, go! Literally, literally. And through the nose, out through the mouth. <laughs> yes, yes. Breathing under control, but also not breathing too hard. I don't want any bees to get sucked up into my airways. Oh, my god! I'm gosh. barely breathing. But fortunately, the, the understory, like I said, the understory of the forest is pretty sparse. So I can see her the whole time. You know, I'm oh, okay. running away. But I also keep in mind that some bees, some yellow jackets, can chase their, like, threat for, like, a mile. Get out. That's a fact. Uh, I've experienced that that's before. That's a fact, yes. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I need, I, I need to just run. I don't know, back to the road. I don't know where I'm running. So I'm running. I think I end up doing this big, like, almost this big oval and come back to her. And I'm just like, okay, like, do you see anything still on me? Do you see anything on me? She's like, no, no, you're good. You're good. But I'm like, oh, so I just take a sigh of relief. I'm like, okay, I don't think I got stung. I don't think, you know, there's anything in my hair. That's, just, that's important too. Nothing's in my hair. <laughs> and we're kind of like, okay, I'm okay. All the things I was carrying are still back where the underground nest was. So obviously we cannot go on with our day because half their equipment is still at the site of the hazard site, you know, like the site of no return. You don't go over there. So we're kind of at this dilemma. What do we do? We can't go on with the day right now. I'm not going back over there to get that equipment right now. But we are kind of being billed by the hour, and we only factored in this to be done within a day. And so we can't, you know, it's kind of just like, oh, what do we do? What do we do? And I think she was my colleague that day for a reason. Because she kind of nonchalantly says, oh, you know what? I'm borrowing my neighbor's beekeeping equipment right now. Let's go back home and get this beekeeping suit. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you have that because I don't know what we would have done without that. My savior lives. Oh my goodness. Julie was just the best coincidence and best timing because she's, she's not a beekeeper, but her neighbor is. So she just happened to have that suit in her possession at her house. So what we decided to do is, I think she had the truck keys. So we, you know, make our way, you know, very cautiously away from that area, back to the truck. And we hope that our equipment will be left alone by any other passers-by, by the public, by people, because those bees will be guarding it. You know, but still a risk to leave expensive equipment out in the open in a forest where, fingers crossed, that no one takes it. But we accept the risk. We head back to the truck. We are driving back. 20, 30 minutes back to her house, get to her house. She's go looking for this beekeeping jacket. And another little kind of like nice kind of relaxing experience happens to me where she is, I guess she lives on a farm. Maybe like farm would be a strong word, but she raises like chickens and ducks and goats. Okay. So it's a kind of nice little like debrief. Let's collect ourselves, 
get some pets from these goats and kind of just like feel a little bit more like at peace with nature again. Like, okay, this is is, is some animals that like me. They won't hurt me. I like nature again. Nature is good. Thank you, goat. You know. (laughs) Okay, question real quick. Are they the dwarf goats or are they like, you know, normal tall goats? What are we talking? These are, I guess, are they kids? Kids are like the young goats. Yeah, yeah. Yes. She's got a bunch of babies. So I think they would be they would be full grown, but these were kids. Again, this is maybe springtime. So maybe they had just like I mean they're like uh, they're dog. walking and stable yeah. on their legs, but they're just so cute. Uh, they melt baby my goats, heart. man. Goat kids are uh, top tier because yes. they just like you know they're just rambunctious and bouncing everywhere. They're so parkour. Yes, there's like seven, eight of them. Ugh. so cute. Yeah, so cute. A plus. Yeah, a, a kind of a segue or like a mental like relaxation of of just like okay, this is a hard past couple hour, but got some goats to recharge, and she yes. brings out these beekeeping jackets, and we're ready to go. Those are back in the truck. We drive back to the site. We get out of the truck, and then we kind of pull out these beekeeping suits. So they're kind of like for people that are familiar are not familiar. They're kind of these creamy colored, I guess, suits. Almost like waders, where you kind of put your foot in like the pants leg, and it zips up all the way up to your neck. And then there's another component where it's like the head shields, you know, where it's like kind of yeah. like a mesh gritty, you know, face shield, and that yeah. zips up to like the neck part. So you're like covered head to toe in protection. Is it like hot in them? Yes, <laughs> it is very hot. <laughs> it is very hot. It is a temperate day. So it's not like scorching. But okay, these are not good. jackets I would want to wear the rest of the day. You know, I'm like, okay, let's let this be a short-term outfit for now. So it's comfortable enough. You know, I, I think it fits me pretty well. Again, I'm pretty petite, so they're, I definitely bunch up the arms around the elbows. It's a little bit long, but I, you know, it fits. It's good enough for the purpose. And it's almost like, um, I guess it's not like Ghostbusters, but you know, you kind of go in like very confident, <laughs> like, okay, like we're about to go that's, into battle. That's what I was imagining, Loki. <laughs> <laughs> go into battle, be, defeat these bees, get our stuff back. Like, it's almost like a, like a yeah, playground don't cross fight. The stream. Yeah, you just like rear yourself up. <laughs> I wish y'all could see Allison right now. <laughs> It reminded me not of Ghostbusters, but of Little Rascals when they have the fire hose on. <laughs> yes, yes. We should have had some sort of like spray, some kind of like I don't, I don't want to like fog them, smoke them out. Use a pesticide. Yeah, you gotta fog them. You gotta smoke them out. That'll chill them. That would have stop chatting with each other. They get quiet. They don't know what to do. <laughs> They'll get stuck. That's true. Go back yes. to an episode. Episode. Like season. Yeah, check out <laughs> Sylvana Ross. Bees in the trap. Shout out. <laughs> That, that would have been very helpful. No, 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 no. That, those are great. <laughs> but we did not have any fog machines or anything. So we just, you know, went in with our suited up selves and hiked back over to that site where I had dropped the equipment. And we see the equipment sitting on the ground. And then we see nothing swarming. We see no one to battle. And it's just like, <laughs> a, we did all this for this. <laughs> You know, it's pretty, I don't know. I, I'm not a big fan of bees. I kind of wanted to show them who was boss. I wanted to, like, defeat these bees. Yeah. I was a little bummed. But it they saw you guys coming with that, with that armor on. They, they just, said, no. they saw us from afar and said, oh, nah, we don't want, we don't want no smoke. We're going to, like, go back underground. <laughs> Literally. So, uh, <laughs> so we, you know, ended up keeping the equipment on, keeping the suit on just in case 
you know, okay. we kept yeah. the suit on as we removed the equipment just in case it wanted to pop out again. But they, they stayed dormant for that duration and we were able to kind of move away from that area, you know, assemble our equipment again. And then we de-layered so you could breathe and like, you know, not be so hot. And we're able to kind of like get ourselves together, recoup the day, you know, notice what time it was. It's okay, we still can do most of this work. You know, it kind of worked out. So the day essentially progressed as we had hoped, but it just goes to show like how unpredictable field work can be and how you really got to be ready for any situation. And the good thing was that we both had a very positive attitude the whole time. You know, yeah. we just laughed it off. We assessed our safety first. And then said, well, this is what happens. And, you know, we have a good story out of it. <laughs> I feel like that's really true about field work. Like, you actually have to have a good attitude or else you will be miserable. And that's not to say, like, obviously some days are worse than others. And you're like, it can be a little disheartening when you have all, you're spending all this funding and you're like, I just wanted one piece of canine feces yep. and I can't <laughs> find it. Like, mm-hmm. It's so dumb. Yeah. yeah. I think people truly do like underestimate how valuable, like good vibes can be. And I'm not talking about like fake, you know, fake happy stuff, yes. like anything like that, man, being like socially compatible with the person that you're working with. Yep. Oh, it changes everything. I've done field studies with, with people like I got along with fine. And then I did some, with people who I actually genuinely had a good time with. And even though we're like in 90 degrees in the Louisiana swamp, it's like, it makes all the difference in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, you're definitely right. That social compatibility. So choose your partners wisely, you know? Yep. <laughs> if you can, yep. if you have any say in Your it. PIs and yeah. your partners. Yeah. Gracious. And, you know, that is not to say also that, you know, folks who aren't hella sociable don't bring good stuff to the table too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah you know if you got a good vibe yeah yeah get in here man and we were just so again we were so lucky that like she had the right tool for us you know back at her house for this exact dilemma you know if i was working with anybody else social compatible or not like i don't know i really genuinely think i don't know what we would have done if we would have just faced it suitless if we yeah. would have just like tried to do the work without that equipment i genuinely don't know so yeah (laughs) pushing through that is crazy to me like that is so wild because people also don't realize that like you know pushing through sometimes can ruin not only your ability to collect data that day but also it could stop you guys from collecting data for a week you know if if you were to get injured and then you can't help collect data then she either has to fly solo or find a new partner or stop the surveys which is tough yeah yeah that's a good point yeah it could have been way worse if i had gotten stung and had a i think i've also heard that people that get stung by bees and have reactions they tend to get worse each time yeah and fortunately i did not get stung that day i did get stung later on that year for another reason and i did have a worse (laughs) worse reaction where my face got swollen i need to just avoid bees in general that's my lesson or just keep EpiPen on me you know like all the time heck yeah Yeah. especially if you around flowers and pollinating individuals (laughs) yes yes this is that time of the show today to give some shout outs so who do you want to give some shout outs to i want to give a shout out to my co-organizers of black and environment so we're a nonprofit that amplifies and highlights black excellence in environmental fields check us out on blackandenviron.org yeah. I want to give a shout out to all the other Black 
Baltimore-based naturalists that inspire me to get out in my nature, my backyard in Baltimore, in particular, Backyard Base Camp with Atia Wells, Elizabeth yeah. Carpenter, Diamond Clark, amazing black women that are doing awesome outreach education for the local Baltimore community. I also want to highlight my collaborators with this book project that we just released. Mm-hmm. So what? Talk about the, it. Yes, yes. A collection of... Come on, um, hair toss. Yes, let them know. <laughs> published yes. author. Okay. <laughs> it's called Been Outside, Adventures mm-hmm. of Black Women, Non-Binary, and Gender Non-Conforming People in Nature, which is available for pre-order on Barnes & Noble, as well as, I think, Mountaineer Books. So check that out. It'll be actually available for order in October, but pre-orders is now. We'll make it easy on you guys, and that link will be in the show description. So if you guys do want to pre-order that book, check it out. Look in the show description for more details. So that's about it. Beautiful. That's so good. Congratulations. Love it. Congratulations, by the way. That is fabulous. Thank you. Phenomenal. All right. Now, to end the show, I want to tell... A joke that oh, I just thought. No. Is it about bananas? <laughs> it's not about <laughs> it's not about bananas, but it's about something else that's yellow. Allison, what did bees evolve from? What did bees evolve from? The bee bee I don't know. Allison, bees evolved from eggs. <laughs> we out! I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> your podcast is Allison Jones and Alexi Grusis. Show theme by Spencer Snedden, show graphics by Khalif Gillette, and lead editing by Patrick Emeribe. Music in this episode was also by The Novembers. Now, if you like this episode, give us a little rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the We Out Here Pod. And if you're a black, brown, or indigenous person in science and nature, and you want to share a story with our audience, hit us up on social media or on our email at weoutherepod at gmail.com. Now, the We Out Here Pod is a community-funded project. This gives us the ability to speak on what we find important relating to our experiences in science and nature, choose our guests, the ones that we wish to see on the program, and avoid problematic corporate shenanigans. Now, if you enjoy this labor of love, please join our community in keeping us afloat by donating to our podcast at patreon.com slash weoutherepod. Our Patreon is used to pay the creatives and storytellers who work with us to bring you these stories, pay for the equipment and necessary software, and one day, hopefully, financially support the creators. As a thank you for joining our Patreon, you'll get the chance to ask our guests and our creators questions. You'll get access to uncut episodes, SFX-free episodes of the show, and our tiers only start at $2 a month, which is $24 for the year. At higher tiers, you'll receive complimentary podcast merch, which was designed by the excellent Khalif Gillette. Once again, that is patreon.com slash weoutherepod. Now we'd like to issue a quick correction. Yellow jackets are built with a straight stinger and do not lose their stinger when they're doing the stinging. So just know that they can hit a lick and keep on ticking. Now, if you guys like bees, tag us online and tell us your favorite bee and bee-based, based bee things under the hashtag, hashtag we out here. And of course, don't forget to check out Been Outside, Adventures of Black Women, Non-Binary and Gender Non-Conforming People in Nature. It's available at mountaineers.org. Now, it also is available right now for pre-order. And if you want to get that book now before the masses, 
check out the show description for a link for that pre-order page. Now, get outside, and always remember, beware the hairy vine. Perfect. Beautiful. I we were so in sync. It was wonderful. That was that was loud. It I accidentally hit the microphone and went. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? And welcome to the We Out Here podcast. Uh, place to hear the stories of black. Let me start that over. That didn't even <laughs> <spelled> off. <laughs> 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 